Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 2, Episode 29, the sixth part of several concerning the history of Canaan. Last week, I gave an overview of Canaan, and then covered the first half or so of the Bronze Age. This week, I'm covering the second half of the Bronze Age, and then touching on the Iron Age of the region. So let's get started. In the early part of the Late Bronze Age, local Canaanite alliances were centered on Megiddo and Kadesh. But that was before the region was once again brought into the Egyptian Empire, and then the Hittite Empire. Later, the region was conquered and brought into the Neo-Assyrian Empire. Also, during this time, the Amorites settled in the region after the fall of Babylon. In the Old Testament, the Amorites are mentioned in the Table of Nations in Genesis 10. Also, later in the Old Testament, the Amorites played a significant role in the early history of Canaan. Throughout the Old Testament, the term Canaanite seems to refer to both a region and a specific people. In Genesis 14, Joshua 10, and Deuteronomy 1, the word refers to the people in the southern mountain portion of the Levant. In Numbers 21, Joshua 9, and 24, there is mention of two great Amorite kings residing in Heshbon and Asheroth, east of the Jordan River. In other passages, such as Genesis chapters 15 and 48, Joshua 24, and Judges 1, the word Amorite is treated as synonymous with Canaanite, but the exception seems to be that Amorite is never used for the people residing on the coast. In the centuries before the appearance of the Biblical Hebrews, parts of Canaan and southwestern Syria were ruled by the Egyptian pharaohs. But this control by the Egyptians seems to have been sporadic, and not strong enough to prevent frequent local rebellions and intra-city struggles. Such was the problem of the large empires of the era. Also, and possibly owing to the fact that they were on the fringes of the Egyptian empire, area of Canaan, as well as northern Syria, came to be ruled by the Assyrians at times too. During the rule of the pharaoh Tutmose III, from the mid-15th century BC, and his successor, Amenhotep II, the regular presence of the Egyptian military persuaded both the Amorites and the Canaanites to remain loyal. Despite this, there was a new troubling faction in the land, namely the Heberu. These people seemed to have been mercenaries, vandals, or possibly just outlaws. It is thought that at one time they were more settled, but then for reasons still unknown, they began to hire themselves out to whichever local mayor, king, or anyone else for that matter, for the purposes of wreaking havoc on the land. They were sort of a landlocked privateer, or maybe more of a mercenary. The Habaru were reported in Mesopotamia from the reign of a Sumerian king, Shulgi, in the third dynasty of Ur. But they do not appear in Canaan until the Hurrian-speaking Mitanni with their horse-drawn chariots show up. The Mitanni will get an episode in the future, too. The Habaru were probably more of a social class than an ethnic group. One analysis shows that the majority were probably Hurrian, originating in Asia Minor. Although there were also probably a number of Semites, Kassites, and Luwian mercenaries within the group. As a result of these chariots and bows for hire, the reign of the pharaoh Etemhop III was not peaceful in the Levant. 
It has been theorized that the instability led local chieftains to seize more control from the remote Egyptians. But this would only have been possible with the help of another empire, or a neighbor with whom they could form sort of a mutual defense alliance. The most audacious of the dissatisfied chieftains was Azuru, the son of Abid Eshtar and Prince of Amuru. During the reign of Amenhotep III, he attempted to extend his power into the area of Damascus, which was to the south of Amuru in the direction of Egypt. But to his dismay, Akizi, the governor of Katna in present-day western Syria, reported this to the pharaoh, who seems to have sought to repel Ezeru. During the reign of Amenhotep, both father and son, being Abdid Eshtera and Ezeru, caused more trouble for Egypt by aligning with the Hittite emperor Sapululamab I and eschewing Egypt. Remember that the Hittites were from Asia Minor. In doing so, Egyptian power in Canaan suffered a major setback, which decreased even further when the Hittites advanced into Syria during the reign of Atenhop. The Hittites also continued to gain influence in Canaan during the reign of Atenhop's III's successor. Not only did the Hittites run off the Egyptians, but also the Amorites, but I may be getting a little bit ahead of myself. Back to the Canaanites. Apti Ishtar and his son Ezeru were at first fearful of the Hittites and later forged a treaty with their king, and in doing so joined with the Hittites. After this, they attacked and conquered the areas in Canaan that remained loyal to Egypt. Ribhtheda was the king of the Biblos, and author of about 40 of the Armana letters to the Pharaoh. In these letters, he appealed for aid, but the Pharaoh was far too concerned with his religious innovations to attend to such messages. Also in the Armana letters, we learn that the Heberai of northern Syria were making inroads into the land of Canaan. Etakema, the apparent king of Gadesh, wrote to the Pharaoh that the Heberai were slowly gaining control over this area. Also, Zimrida, king of Sidon in Lebanon, said that, quoting, All my cities which the king, meaning the Pharaoh, has given into my hand, have come into the hand of the Heberai. The king of Jerusalem, Abdi Heba, reported to the Pharaoh, If Egyptian troops come this year, lands and princes will remain to the king, my lord. But if troops come not, these lands and princes will not remain to the king, my lord. Given how many different leaders were appealing to Egypt for military assistance, the situation seemed quite dire. From about the mid-14th century BC through the 11th century BC, much of Canaan fell to the Middle Assyrian Empire, with both Egyptian and Hittite's influence decreasing as a direct consequence. This was particularly true for the north, central, and eastern regions of Syria, and the northwestern Mediterranean coastal regions. During this time, powerful Assyrian kings forced the Canaanite states to pay taxes to them. Arik din Ili, who reigned from about 1307 to 1296 BC, consolidated Assyrian power in the Levant, while at the same time conquering the ancient Semitic-speaking peoples of the Aramines. He was followed by Adabd Ninurai I, who ruled from 1295 to 1275 BC. Adad Ninurai continued expansion to the northwest, primarily driving out the Hittites and the Hurrians. Shalmanassor I took the throne in 1274 BC, 
He is regarded as a powerful warrior king and annexed territories in Syria and Canaan previously under Egyptian or Hittite influence. But he also had to deal with the growing power of Assyria and sought peace with them. The trend of the cycle between war and peace remained under Tukilti Ninartu I, who reigned from 1244 to 1208 BC. It also continued under Tiglath Pilsner I from 1115 to 1077 BC. Tiglath Pilsner went on to conquer the Arameans of northern Syria and did the same to Damascus and the Canaanite cities of Biblios, Sidon, and Tyre. Just after the Armana period of ancient Egypt, the Egyptians began to lose control of southern Canaan, having lost the northern portion to the Assyrians much earlier. Then, the pharaoh Horemheb campaigned against the Shashu people, who lived a nomadic pastoral life, at this time in the area of the Jordan River, Galilee, and Jezreel. The Egyptians were especially threatened by the impact of their trade routes through the area. Pharaoh Menmetri Seti I, in about 1290 BC, is thought to have conquered the Sheshu, at least in the area south and east of the Dead Sea, in the Egyptians' words, from the fortress of Teru to Kanana. His successor, Ramses II, though, suffered a near defeat in the Battle of Kadesh and had to fight vigorously in Canaan to maintain Egyptian control. Egyptian forces went as far as Moab in Amman, where a permanent fortress garrison was then established. By the early Iron Age, the southern Levant came to be dominated by the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And besides the Philistine city-states on the Mediterranean coast, and the kingdoms of Moab, Ammon, and the Aramid Damascus east of Jordan, and Edom to the south, the northern Levant was divided into various smaller kingdoms, the so-called Syro-Hittite states, and the Phoenician city-states. There'll be much more on this region in time as we progress through the Old Testament. The entire region, which at the time included all of Canaan and the Aramean states, also Israel, Philistia, and Samara, were conquered by the Neo-Assyrian Empire during the 10th and 9th centuries BC. They would remain under the control of the Assyrians for about 300 years until the end of the 7th century BC. Assyrian kings such as Ashur-Nashapal, Adad-Nirai II, Sargon II, Tilgath-Palzai III, Ashur-Hadan, Sennacherib, and Ashur-Banipal came to dominate Canaanite affairs. The Egyptians, then under a Nubian dynasty, made an unsuccessful attempt to retake the region, but were vanquished by the Assyrians, leading to an Assyrian invasion and conquest of Egypt and the destruction of the Kushite Empire. I'll cover that empire in great detail when working through the Egyptians. Also, at this time, the kingdom of Judah was forced to pay tribute to Assyria. Between 616 and 605 BC, the Assyrian Empire collapsed due to a series of bitter internal civil wars followed by an attack by an alliance of Babylonians, Medes, Persians, and the Scythians. With this collapse, the Babylonians took control of the western part of the empire of their Assyrian brethren, including all the lands in Canaan and Syria, together with Israel and Judah. They then successfully defeated the Egyptians, who had, very late in the fight, attempted to aid their former rulers, the Assyrians, and then remained in the region in an attempt to regain a foothold in the Near East. 
the Babylonian Empire itself collapsed in 539 BC, and Canaan fell to the Persians and became part of the Achaemenid Empire. It remained so until 332 BC, when it was conquered by the Greeks under Alexander the Great, later to fall to Rome in the late 2nd century BC. And then it fell to Byzantium, until the Arab Islamic invasion and conquest in the 7th century AD. And that's a little bit further in the history than I usually go, but it's essentially the same as that of Ebla and Aleppo. The culture within Canaan was a mixture of all the ethnicities that inhabited the region. Remember that Canaan included what are the present-day countries of Lebanon, Israel, northwestern Jordan, and some western areas of Syria. According to archaeologist Jonathan Tubb of the British Museum, the Ammonites, Moabites, Israelites, and Phoenicians undoubtedly achieved their own cultural identities, and yet ethnically they were all Canaanites, the same people who settled in the farming villages in the region in the 8th millennium BC. Going back to the first episode on Canaan, recall that there is some uncertainty whether the name Canaan refers to a specific Semitic-speaking ethnic group wherever they lived, or to the homeland of this ethnic group, or to a region under the control of this ethnic group, or perhaps any combination of the three. Whatever they truly were, the Canaanites benefited from their position between the major ancient civilizations of the Middle East, Egypt, Mesopotamia, the Hittites, and the Mionin in Crete, rising to become city-states of merchants and kings along the coast along with small areas specialized in agricultural products in the interior. Early Canaanite civilization was typically situated around a small walled marketplace, surrounded by peasant farmers growing a range of local agricultural foodstuffs, along with the cultivation of olives, grapes for wine, and pistachios on a much larger scale. All of this coexisted with extensive grain growing, largely wheat and barley. The harvest probably occurred in early summer. Then the shepherds would bring in the flocks to graze them on the stalks of grain, essentially the leftover grass, staying closer to water supplies in the summer. Evidence of this cycle of agriculture is found in the Gezer calendar and also in the biblical cycle of the year. The Gezer calendar is a small inscribed limestone tablet discovered in 1908 by Irish archaeologist Stuart McAllister in the ancient Canaanite city of Gezer, located about 20 miles or 32 kilometers west of Jerusalem. It is commonly dated to the 10th century BC, but its identification during the excavation was not in a secure archaeological context, overall causing some uncertainty around its actual age. Scholars are divided as to whether the language is Phoenician or Hebrew, and whether the script is Proto-Canaanite or Paleo-Hebrew. The calendar is inscribed on a limestone plaque and describes monthly or bimonthly periods and attributes to each a duty such as harvest, planting, or tending specific crops. I'll post a picture of the calendar on the podcast Facebook page. And that's probably as good of a point as any to end today. Next week, I'll wrap up the history of Canaan. You don't want to miss it. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page. 
And if you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released. Also, go to iTunes and give the podcast a positive review. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.